Would you pray with me, please? God of the universe, all-powerful, all-loving, all-caring God, what a privilege it is to be able to come to you in prayer. What an honor we have to capture any of your attention at all. Thank you, Lord. Father, as we meet here this morning with expectant hearts for what you have for us, we ask that you would clear our minds of the things that have gone on this week so that Joel's message that you've given him can go through our minds and rest on our hearts. Father, we ask you that you would be with Joel now as he comes and gives us the message that you would give him the illustrations and the words to give us what you have given him this week. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. If you would turn in your scriptures to the 12th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Once in a while it's important to say... For you folks that have just recently begin, begun attending here, <clears throat> especially if you come from a traditional church like I do, um, you're used to two hymns and let's get on with it. <clears throat> and you stand there and you go, Onward, Christian soldier. The singing time here is not a singing time. It's a worship time. And the reason that we have song after song is for clots, clods like me that walk in here with all kinds of things on my mind except worship. And it takes probably three or four songs before I even get the crud scraped off enough to really remember I am talking to the Lord now. I'm not just singing with my brothers and sisters. This is my offering of praise to God. One of my sons asked me one time, why do I have to come to church if I can't understand the sermon? Well, after I was crushed and hurt and (laughs) went through moaning and groaning, I said to him, because God likes and desires and wants your praise. And when you come in, And you sing those scripture songs and you praise him with your mouth. That's an offering to him. He is pleased with that. And you have actually given something God that day that he would not have ordinarily. You don't come to church to understand mainly. You come to praise. That's your time with the Lord. So it's good every once in a while just to stop and say, this is not a song time. This is a worship time. And remember the fact that Worship is not only receiving, it's giving. And that time is a very, very important time to God. He will listen to the intent of your heart during that time. And uh, sometime we might extend that time and have a much shorter sermon, but not this morning. (laughs) So don't get your hopes up. 
Actually, I almost filibustered in the first service because I could, I could talk about this subject forever, and I almost did. We are, for those of you who, again, are fairly new here, we're going through the Gospel of Luke in a series called Reading the Red. And we are going to take, in Luke's order, the words that Jesus Christ has said to us. And we may be a very long time getting through this sermon series, probably will be, but we're going to work it through so that we can hear every word that the Gospel of Luke recorded that Jesus wanted us to hear. We have, for the past few Sundays, been talking about Jesus on finances. And I know that there are a number of you who are frustrated because we really haven't talked about money yet. Well, guess what? You're going to be frustrated again this morning. <laughs> you know why? Because when Jesus talks about finances, he's not really talking about money. Oh, he mentions it. But that's not the point. The point is never the money. One time I uh, heard a story about a student who asked a professor why it was that the two Americas discovered and colonized at approximately the same time with approximately the same natural resources and approximately the same climates, why one of the Americas, North America, had developed into a first-rate world power and why South America had essentially remained a third-world country. And the response of the professor was very, very important and very apropos. He said, because the people who settled North America came looking for a place to find God, and the people who settled South America came looking for a place to find gold. When we preach about finances, if we're looking for information about gold, we are not going to develop very well spiritually. Our development comes whenever we look for God. Any lesser principle, any lesser standard will not develop us into a fully potent Christian person. And I'll preach in the future about finances, and you'll probably get frustrated again because I don't mention, ver mention uh, money very much. But that is for our development. And the money will follow. I mean, I mean, whatever God has to say to you about your personal finances will follow based on the principles you hear in these messages. Now, to delay the sermon even more, let me, well, let me first read this read the three verses that we have for the scripture message today and just give you a few technicalities about this, this message. Starting with verse 32 in the 12th chapter of Luke. Follow along with me, please, if you have your scripture with you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly. Look at, the, look at the God's heart and how much he has wanted to give to us. To give, now watch that word, you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. <clears throat> Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor mouth, or nor, nor <laughs> mouth destroys. <laughs> Don't let my mouth destroy this, Lord. Uh, nor moth destroys. I, this is a, uh, this is a uh, historical incident. 
In the temple storeroom, they had bags of money that were literally kept in, uh, the, the, the bags were literally cloth. And they kept labeled on those bags how much money was in that bag. And every once in a while, you would get a heathen or a pagan um, that was just sacrilegious enough to go in and swipe those bags. When you didn't have thieves, you did have moths in those storerooms that would literally eat their way through the bags. So this is not just an analogy. This is in God's storeroom, an, an actual historical event. For, <clears throat> here it is, the reason where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now let, let me just go into the Greek just a little bit for you here. It's not necessary a lot. First of all, <clears throat> the verb tense of do not be afraid is a present imperative, which means do not go on being afraid. It doesn't say that anytime you're afraid, that's wrong. We will all be afraid from time to time in our lives about various things. And that's okay. It's okay to be afraid. It's what you do with that fear that is very, very important. And Jesus is saying, do not go on being afraid. Give it away. Do something with it. Handle it. <laughs> Don't handle it here. Handle it. Your father has chosen. See? See where it goes? Now, here comes the tough part. The verb tense in the form cell is a one-time cell. Aorist and perfect. It is, it doesn't mean go on, go on selling. Okay? It means one big shot. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean we literally go out, we sell all that we have and give it to charity? Well, I went into a real lengthy, yawning, eye-closing explanation the first service. I'm going to save you from that. Get in all the Greek technicalities. You don't, need, you don't want to hear that stuff. Let me tell you the modern-day um, analogy of what this word means. This literally means put everything you have right now on the market. Okay? When you list a house, you put it on the market. Then when a buyer comes along and he wants to buy it, you sell it. What this is saying is that there has to be a one-time decision in our, in our life that A, nothing we have is really ours. It is all God's. B, not only is it God's, but he has access to it whenever he needs it. Now, I hate to see people breathe easy when I say that. And that's what most of us do. We Greek our way out of the hardness of the gospel. It's kind of like the, boy, or the guy who went to the, the doctor I read this week. There's an old guy who went to a doctor, and there's a physician sitting out there seeing this problem. Went into the room, you know, and he's going, you know, Doc, I, I just can't seem to get much done around the house anymore. I'd, I'd like for you to examine me and tell me why. So the doctor gave him an examination. There was absolutely nothing wrong with him physically. Sat down with him afterwards, and the guy looked at him and said, Okay, now, I can take it. Tell me in plain language why. Tell me what's wrong with me that I cannot get anything done around the house. And the doctor looked at him and said, 
you're lazy. <laughs> and the guy never dropped a beat. He said, well, okay, give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. <laughs> I feel a lot of times when we come in here, we, we want to work the Greek enough, you know, give me the technicality so I can get out of this, you know, give me what it really says so I don't think, so I don't have to do what it says in plain English, you know. You missed the point. When he says this, he means it. And it's not the old joke about, you know, the priest, the rabbi, and the, and the minister throwing the offering up in the air and whatever God wants he can have, you know, the rest that falls down I'll keep. Not that kind. Yeah, it's yours. It is a constant listening. Do you want this? Do you want this for them? How can I give this in your name? What have I available that I can sell so that they can have. It is a constant thing. It's not, yeah, my house is on the market. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, whenever you, whenever you come to me with the right circumstances, you know, and you give me what I want for it, and then you make it real plain, and you, no. It's, we always need to be looking for a way to give to the poor, always. That's a hard line. Now, let me go on with making preparations to hear the sermon. <laughs> Before we ever get to the place where we can store up treasures for ourselves in heaven, and it literally means what it says, that when we give to the poor, when, and not just money, but when we give of ourselves when we do what we know God wants on his behalf, that thing is literally stored for us in heaven. That's what it says. But before we ever get there, we have to realize two things to get appropriately to the sermon. We have to realize two things. First of all, we have to realize that before you can store up anything anywhere, you've got to have an account. You try and walk in a bank that you've never walked in before and say, here, here's a thousand dollars. I want you to keep it for me. The teller will say, well, what's your account number? And you say, try this. I haven't got one. Just keep it for me. What's she going to say to you? I haven't got any place to keep it until you open an account. I want to know your name. I want to give you, I want to have a place to put that treasure. You would not believe the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who believe all of their lives that if they do enough good stuff, that it, that's what will get them to heaven. They haven't opened an account yet. There isn't but one account officer in all of heaven. And his name is Jesus Christ. And when you accept Jesus Christ into your life, you have just opened an account. You understand? So that you have a place to store that. Now listen to me. If you have never knowingly done that in your life, don't leave this morning before you do that. Because there's no place to put it up there. There's no place to put it. It is so important that you realize that your relationship with Christ is prerequisite for any holiness, for any acceptable storage, for any spiritual development. 
We don't have an altar call every Sunday because there are mostly believers in this body. But from time to time, it is so important for us to make sure that you have a knowing and abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not one of these. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I was always raised to be a Christian. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm married. I was always raised to be married. When did it happen? Okay. Have you said, I do with your mouth? That's important. There'll be an opportunity for that before you leave here, but that's, that's prerequisite. Deeper than that, though, Deeper than that is this. It is not just getting a category that they can store your goods in. It is having the personal relationship with God. Do you know what? It all misses the point unless you realize that all of our giving... All of our giving is to come closer to God personally. He doesn't, he doesn't care. Uh, well, the fact that you have been a Christian for 20 years is not the entire point of becoming a Christian. The fact that you have been married 50 years or 60 years is not the empire, entire point of being married. Admirable as that is. The point is the relationship that you have. God, you're the most important thing in this world of God. You are. You are his treasure. Forget about the money. It's you. Forget about the gifts. It's you that he wants. It's you. I heard a story. I, I can't remember where. Maybe I read it. Just tore me up. It was so good. A boy had gone to Ireland with his family to a big family reunion. And there he had met dozens of his relatives for the first time. And he was getting to know them and they were having this huge party and he loved them. I mean, right? I mean, they were great people, just loved them. And he came in contact with his great-grandfather who was a warm and caring and loving person. His great-grandmother had passed away years before. And this old man had gone on living the best he could. Well, it came time to show him where all of the family lived and something of the, of the land. And so they all piled in cars. And this boy piled in a back seat with his great-grandfather and a couple more people. And there were some people in front. And they were going down the road all to visit the family historical places. And the car was about to pass the graveyard where his great-grandmother was buried, this fellow's wife. And as the family went on and talked about everything, the little boy kept his eyes on his great-grandfather for some reason. And his great-grandfather was not at all aware that he was being watched. And as they passed by, oh gosh, I can hardly tell you, that graveyard, that old man pressed his face against the window and waved to his wife. The point is not how long they were married. 
The point is that he loved her so much he would never really be complete until he was really with her again. The point is not whether or not you're a Christian. It's that you love God so much you'll never really be complete until you're fully with him. That's the point. You're his treasure. And he's yours. Secondly, if I can recover. (laughs) The point is, yes, giving usually entails two special things that God has given us to keep track of, two special ways he's given us to give to him. The first, which is not mentioned in this scripture, but is prerequisite, is that he has given us in scripture a special fund, treasury, treasure that is just his. Now, historically, in Scripture, that has been described as the tithe. Let me explain to you some things about the tithe. First of all, I realize fully that there are people in here who say the tithe is for the past, and, um, you know, you've studied Scripture a lot, and you think, well, um, that 10% just to go to God doesn't, you know, that's not um, valid any longer because Jesus Christ brought in the whole era of grace and so on and so forth. That's okay. Honest Christians and sincere Christians differ about that. That's okay. And there are others of you who will say, no, not a, not a certain portion. The, God is, God, the Bible says whatever, whatever you purpose in your heart, that's what you need to give the Lord. So it's not a certain portion. It's whatever, you know, however God prospers you and it's, you know, whatever, you know, if your income goes up and down, then God's giving you goes up and down and so on and so forth. You missed the point. The point is that, yes, all that we have is his. Yes. But that does not mitigate that God has always commanded that there be a portion that is so much his, we can't keep, we can't even begin to claim control over it. We can't mess with it. Because that is the special part that is God's. Now let me tell you why he did that. It's very easy to understand. In every significant, important relationship in your life, there either is or maybe someday a part of yourself that you have given to that person that no matter how much somebody else may need that part, you don't give it to anybody else. It can be emotionally, it can be financially, it can be personality-wise, it can be sharing of memories, it can be anything. But part of your absolute devotion to that person is that you keep that part of yourself for them and them only. And it's not even yours. It's theirs. From the very beginning, you can say, that's not mine. That's not my decision. That's their decision. The scripture describes that when it describes a husband and wife's bodies. It says, that's not your body. That's her body. Wife, that's not your body. That's his body. It says, it shall never be used for someone else. Don't use it for anybody else. That is hers or his, period. 
that is part of our devotion to that person. And it's part of our constant link to that person. Now, the tithe, or, you know, if you don't believe in a tithe, whatever portion you got, or whatever, I don't, I don't know. I, I've always, that's just how I've always operated, you know, that that first 10%, I wouldn't put my hands on that for all the tea in China. It's not mine. But that portion has to be God's without fail because it is special. Not because it's any more his than anybody else, than anything anything else you have, but because it builds up a special relationship between you and him, see? Now, it occurs to me, even as I'm talking, he's saying, well, typical preacher trying to get, you know, a certain portion for the church. Let me just release you at this point. A... It's obvious from the bulletin that we're not in a big money needing situation right now. So this is not coming from any sort of need. And thank you for letting God teach you how to give enough to, to, for us not to have any, you know, it's apparent that we don't have any mixed motives here. We got plenty. B, it is neat for you to give your tithe in other places than your own local church. In other words, if you know of other churches, God's got a lot of churches he's doing a lot of neat stuff in. Give your tithe to them for a while. Going down the road, listen, you want to see something fun. Go down the road, stop in at a church that you kind of like and you've heard good things about. You know they're preaching Christ there and say, you know, I just want to give you my tithe this week. Watch, Watch the expression on their face. You know what they'll do? They'll do this. Well, great. Can we put you on our mailing list? That's what they'll do. Let's keep in closer contact here. Look, that is good for us in order to remember that it is not dues to an institution. It is God's. And God's got a whole lot of churches he's working toward. And it's just as much his through another church as it is through this church. So don't even worry about giving your tithe to this church. I'm not worried about it. You give your tithes to God. That's his, period. Now, the third thing about this that I want to describe to you is that it's not a matter of money. It's a matter of character. God lets us give a special portion that is his because it molds in us the character that we need to live with him. The character of Jesus Christ which is what we're trying to develop anyhow. I read a thing about uh, uh, nonprofit organizations. Do you know nonprofit organizations are growing faster than any other type of organization in this country? It's, it, they're growing faster than businesses. They're growing faster than government, which is a wonder in itself. They're growing faster than any other thing in this country. Basically, we have 80 to 90 million people who are giving volunteer time and it's growing every day to nonprofit organizations in this country. I think it's wonderful. The Girl Scouts alone have 730, hundred, no, 730, how do you do that? Seven, 730, hundred thousand. How do you do that? 730,000. Thank you. See, I'm not real good with math. Anyhow, and the Boy Scouts have that many too. The, 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 um, I heard about a diocese in the Roman Catholic Church that 20 years ago had been completely 
run. I mean, almost everything was done by the priests and the nuns. Today, they've had a 50% reduction in the number of priests and 80% number of reduction in nuns, and they are doing twice as much. You know why? Lay people are doing it. Lay people are doing it. Nonprofit organizations. Now, here's the point. The point of that kind of giving is that it deepens our sense of maturity. You know how to tell the difference between a mature church and an immature church? Real simple. Let me just give this to you, and you can always remember this. In an immature church, people come to be satisfied. In a mature church, people come to be changed. That's the difference. Well, when we give to God, we don't give for greater satisfaction. That's not mainly what, yes, it is satisfying, but that's not why we're giving. We're not giving to be fulfilled. That would simply be some more erotic love. Oh, good, it feels good to be satisfied, see? We are giving to have our nature changed to be more like Christ. God so loved that he gave, see? That's the nature of God. And we want to have the nature of God, so we give. I heard a story about a small boy who loved his father, loved him. And it was Father's Day. And I realize a lot of, a lot of people don't do much on Father's Day. Hint, hint, no. <laughs> somebody once said, somebody once said that um, on Mother's Day, we buy flowers and we take the mother out and, you know, it's, it, you know we, real, we cook dinner and we serve breakfast in bed and all that kind of stuff. Father's Day is kind of a Graham Rudman Mother's Day. <laughs> you know, you've cut it, cut the budget way down. But anyhow, this was a big Father's Day thing. And this little boy didn't have anything. Now, this is back 20 years ago. And he went with his dad to the five and, five and dime store, Ben Franklin, remember those? And they were walking all up and down the aisles, and the kid was just wishing he had some money so that he could get his father a present. He could give his dad something. Well, it wasn't very crowded that day, and this kid was old enough to kind of split off from his dad, and his dad came around the corner, and he saw his son. He came up behind his son and saw him looking at a box of cigars. His dad smoked cigars. And the kid looked down the aisle, and... Either way, and there was nobody around. And he took two of those cigars. Remember your old thief days? Anybody ever steal anything? He took two of those cigars and stuffed them in his shirt. And then he stood there. And stood there. And stood there. And finally he reached in his shirt and he pulled them out and he put them back. They walked out of that store, and the next day was Father's Day, and that little boy got up, and he went into his dad to confess. He said, Dad, I didn't have any money to buy you a present. I can't give you anything for Father's Day. And that dad looked at his son and said, Son, I was standing behind you yesterday. <laughs> and when you put those two cigars back, you gave me the best present you ever could have. That's the way it is with God. He, the gifts are not the point. The character is the point. 
God wants to see that in us, like any father in any child. So giving is not a matter of the Lord's treasury. We are the Lord's treasury. We are the Lord's treasure. Now, let me say this. It is important when you begin to think in terms of that being the Lord, that being the Lord's part, that you remember... Well, let me tell you. Let me give you one more illustration. See, this is what I did last sermon. Or last, last sermon. We could be here till long. No, we won't be. But, but it just occurred to me, because I saw some friends out there sitting from my last church, and I, I knew a guy in my last church had a wonderful giving spirit. Wonderful giving spirit. And one time I asked him about this tithe business. I was going through, you know, and, and, and you know, he was at the same place I am. You know, you, that's the Lord's tithe, and then your giving really comes anything after that. And I thought, well, that made sense to me, you know, so I'd keep on doing that. Um, but he put it like this. And I thought this is the best way I'd ever heard it. He put it like this. He said, I would no more spend part of that money than I would go get money out of a friend's wallet and spend it even though I knew that friend wouldn't mind. Now listen to that. Isn't that good? That is how we need to think of the Lord's portion of our income. I know some of you well enough to know that if I were really, really broke, I could come in your house and I could go to your wallet and I could take some money. Who of you could I do that to? No. <clears throat> but I know some of you well enough to know I could do that and I could come to you next day and say, you know, I really needed some money, so I took some of your money yesterday and... and some of you, maybe all of you, but the ones that I know would say, you know, I'm glad you could use it. That's great. Feel free. Now, see, that's God's attitude, isn't it? God's glad we can use it. Feel free. But I would never do that to you. I would, I would accept, and I'm, I'm not even going to say that, but there, there would be another way that I would have to, because I want our friendship to be special. I don't want to take advantage of it. And I know in your mind it wouldn't be taken advantage of, and in God's mind it's not taken advantage of it. But in my mind, I need that in order to revere you enough to never, ever take something that may be yours, that may inconvenience you. So anyhow, that's a good way to think of that. Okay, let's go on to the third part now. Here's the third part. It is important to realize that God has a system set up. His children are so important to him that when we respond to them in their need, that character is not only carved in us so that when we get to heaven, boy, you talk about culture shock. You know what it's going to be like when we die. Can you imagine going to heaven and all of the things that are normal down here, up there, are not going to be normal at all? What are we going to act like? Do you honestly think that when we get to heaven, we're going to know how to act? I'm not going to know how to act. Where am I going to learn that? You know, everybody else is going to have their act together. I'm going to go up and go, well, when do we eat? You know, I mean, we, we're going to have all of, these, all of these habits down here that we're just going to naturally. Well, part of what we're doing in, that, in the whole giving aspect is carving out in our character a preparation so we're not clear out of it in heaven. 
Because if we can get that Christ nature down here, we're, gonna, we're not going to be clear out of it in heaven. But here's the system. God has already prepared for us when we have believed in Jesus Christ an account. And I don't know what that account's going to be like. I don't think it's going to be material. I really don't. If I, if I can't even wear my golden crown, you know, if I got to cast down my golden crown around the glassy sea, I don't know how in the world my account's going to, you know, I don't think we're going to go out and have, you know, Sunday school pins down to here and, you know, Wojo badgets on our thing and, you know, somebody's got a better robe than somebody else. I think that's all corny and I think it's stupid and I don't think anything will like, be like that in heaven. But I do know somehow we are going to be rewarded and resourced, 1 Corinthians 3, 13 through 15, for what we've been, done, been doing down here on earth. It just says it, and I believe it, okay? But again, here is the important part. The part is not that we have that waiting on us. The important part is not that we have that waiting on us. The important part is God has given us a way to come close to our brothers and sisters in need and know what it's like to be giving Know what it's like to be a vessel of God. Know what He is joyful every day when He gives to us. It's a wonderful thing every day when He gives to us. It pleases Him. <clears throat> and when it says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He is giving us the the sense, the glimpse of what is going to happen to our hearts, to our insides. We are going to be able to love people we've never loved before. Now, let me say two things. First of all, I want to be true to Scripture and say that we ought to really be glad that we're going to have an account in heaven. It's a sure bet. Every day, when I, just about every day when I walk out of the office, it's matinee time. <clears throat> at the dog track. And almost without fail, there's some old guy sitting out on the stoop of the church sign, marking his program. See? <clears throat> Betting on the dogs. Five times out of ten, the guy does not look like he knows where his next meal's coming from. I'm thinking, this guy's betting on the dogs, you know? So it reminds me of, of what somebody once wrote when he said, you never bet enough on a winning horse. I'm, I'm wondering about that guy and how he's going to feel at the end of the day. Even if he wins, he's going to want to have bet more than two bucks on that winning horse. What Scripture does, this is a terrible analogy, and I'm sorry for this, but what Scripture does is it gives us a sure bet right here. When, when, the, when the word comes, you never bet enough on a winning horse, we already got a winning horse. We know that anything we invest in people who need it, anything we invest in the kingdom, it's going to be stored for us in heaven. That is a sure bet. So I don't want to arrive in heaven and go, oh gosh, well, I saw that part in there. I just wasn't sure of it. We are sure of it. And that's a neat thing. But beyond that and deeper than that, listen to this. There is a point at which personal giving, not just giving through the sharing fund, and by the way, I need to say, say to you every once in a while, 
what that sharing does fund does. We have a little thing on your, on your envelopes that, that's marked sharing fund. And whenever you put money into the sharing fund, I want, you to t- I want to tell you, you're having, there are people who, that's basically for the church body so we can be an Acts 2 church so that nobody's in need. I don't think anybody in a church ever ought to be on government assistance. I think it's ridiculous. There's enough of us to take care of one another. We've got the command to do it. We've got the resources to do it. I think it's ridiculous for churches not to be, ta- be able to take care of their own. And so whenever you give to that sharing fund, that says you can use at least this much of this Sunday's offering for the people in this body who need it. Now, has anybody ever here not been in a financial, big, a tough financial spot? We all get in a... Did anybody raise their hand, by the way? <laughs> we all get in tough financial spots. All of us. And I want to tell you right now, if you get in a tough financial spot, the elders of this church want to know about it. You come to us and you let us help. It's not coming to church asking. It's coming to the Lord and saying, okay, all right, I'm here. Because we absolutely love it. It's God functioning like he always wanted to function. You know, it's God supplying needs. And every week when you get to that sharing fund, you're getting utilities turned back back on. You're making mortgage payments. You're making Grocery payments to people who honestly really need it. There are no, we do, you know, there comes a point at which you have to discern now, is the Lord trying to work out something we're going to interrupt in this person's life if we bail them out? And yeah, we go through that discernment. But where better to to go through it in your own body? We know the people in this body. So we will have a sense whether or not the Lord is trying to work something out in their life and they got to go a little bit further with it, or we need to just rescue that family. You would not believe the kids in this church that are helped by your giving every week. It is wonderful. And so let me just say to you that in as much as you do that, in as much as you give there, and in as much as you give to the general fund that also goes to the sharing fund when we need it, um, that's wonderful. That's in the account. But you know what? There are hundreds of people that you know that will never step foot inside this church that we'll never know, we'll never be able to come in contact with, and sooner or later God's going to bring some of them past you, and they're going to say, we haven't got groceries this week. I don't know what to do. Let me say to you that it is the most wonderful thing in the world to get in the position that even if you're sharing your Cheerios because that's all you got to eat that week, you're going to do it. There is an account. When people come by this, when people come by this church, I don't go straight to the sharing fund. If I've got anything on me, the only time I go to the church is when I don't have anything personally. You know why? Because it is absolutely a stitch to give to those people. I absolutely love it. And it's not so that I can pile up whatever I'm piling up in heaven. I don't know what I'm piling up. But it's because you see God complete his cycle. You see God complete his plan. And I'm just stingy enough to want him to do that through me. And so it is important 
that you realize that when it says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, it's not just talking about giving to the Lord so your heart will be to the Lord. It's talking about letting your heart be with those people. I spend hours every week in prayer, not only for the people in this body, but for the people who I know have need, who have no connection to a body whatsoever. That's important. That's important. Okay, I did it again. Big long one, no big ending, okay? Some people say, I like those tear-jerking stories at the end. Well, forget it, not this Sunday. No tear-jerkers. Let me ask you to consider two things at this time. And I'm going to ask the elders to come forward uh, during the prayer time just to kneel down. And if you have a prayer concern that you would like to share with someone and have another Christian pray with you about that, they're available. Just come in, come, come up and, and tap them on the shoulder and just tell them what you would like for them to agree. I mean, the scripture says whenever two agree, two or more agree, that it shall be done. So ask them to agree with you on that, to be with you in that prayer. I want you to think in two veins. First of all, if you have never made a verbal, open commitment to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, please decide to do that this morning. If you feel any tug at all in your heart, God is wanting you to do that. Don't leave here without it. American Express. Secondly, there are some things in your life, maybe material, but maybe not material, that you haven't put on the market. You've said, this is mine, and God can't have it, even if he needs it for somebody else. You know how I know that? Because there are some things in my life that after 20 years of Christianity, I'm still trying to get the courage to put on the market. Would you pray about those this morning? Sell all you have? Let's have some prayer time. Elders, would you come forward? And any time you want to come forward, if you want to come forward and kneel and pray and not pray with an elder, you're free to do that too. All right? But if you need somebody to pray with, let one of us know. And then after this prayer time, we will have a song to end. your face is all we seek. You are the reason we are here, to hear your word, to be touched by your spirit, to be renewed again. Father, we just lift up your servant Joel this morning as he speaks the word to us. Give us attentive ears and also willing feet to do your word. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to teach us this morning about giving 
giving of ourselves. And we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be a living sermon. We give this morning to you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn in your scriptures, please, to the 12th chapter of Luke. For those of you who have just recently been attending... Let me say to you, remind you that we are working our way through, um, by the way, let me remind you of this too, for some of you who come from traditional churches as I do, Um, usually when you walk into church you're used to one or two hymns and then you, you know, have the liturgy and so on and so forth. And that's that's fine, That's that's a good system. But here we take the song time as worship time, we are not singing songs, we are singing to God. And we are having our heart go out to Him. So this is not a time when we sing. This is a time when we worship. And um, we want to probably even extend that worship time because it is very important. It takes, I don't know about you, but when I walk in, it takes a long time to get my heart to where I'm really, I've just got so much, it's not bad stuff, just stuff. And it takes two or three songs just to get the crud off. I mean, just to scrape the surface off before my heart is beginning to be tender and and I'm understanding what I'm doing toward the Lord. So, that is how we worship here. And uh, now, secondly, about the worship, uh, about the the message series, we are preaching our way through uh, reading, it's a Reading the Red series, preaching our way through the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. We may never be done with this, I don't know. But uh, so far, we're on chapter 12. And the last three messages... And, and this ends the fourth, this mini-series, chapter 12, much of it is about Jesus and finances. And I want to say to you at the beginning of this sermon, the last one in this little series here, you may be terribly frustrated about this because you have noticed that I have really not talked very much about money at all. And you would expect that a series entitled Jesus on Finances would talk about money. Well, I'm not going to talk about much, money much again today <coughs> because... Much of the time when Jesus was talking about finances, he was not talking about money, really. That was not the issue. That is not the issue. <clears throat> That's that dark spot, isn't it? I wondered, somebody said there's a dark spot in here. That's it. I got it. Money is not the issue because spiritual development does not depend upon the things of this world. Jesus never implied that the things of this world were unimportant. But neither did he imply that they were important for themselves. The things of this world are only important as they lead us to deeper and more important issues. I heard a story one time about um, someone who would ask a professor, what was the difference between the development of North America and South America? Two countries who... were were discovered having just about the same natural resources, just about the same climate in different times of the year. And one of them had developed into one of the leading powers of the world, and the other one had become more or less a third world country. And the professor said this, the people who settled the North American content continent 
<clears throat> came looking for a place where they could find God. The people who settled the South American content came looking for a place where they could find gold. The difference in our spiritual development is what we're looking for. Even on sermons on finance, the issue isn't gold, it's God. Where in our financial world can we find God? And if that, if we are seeking first the kingdom, then our spiritual development will come much faster than if we try to learn God's principles on money. You understand? Okay, there are only three verses this, this Sunday because... Um, it touches on a whole, different, uh, a whole different realm of things. We won't even get to these three verses till the end, of the, uh, the end of the message. Luke 12, starting with verse 32, says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell, all your, possess sell your possessions and give to charity, Make yourselves purses which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now let me just tell you a few technicalities about this. First of all, the do not be afraid is, is, the, is, is in the present imperative in the Greek. And what that simply means is, don't continually be afraid. Don't be uh, afraid on a repetitive basis. It does not say never be afraid in life. There are times when we face life when we are just flat afraid. We can do two things with that. We can keep that fear or we can give that fear away. And when he says do not be afraid, he's saying do not have an attitude of fear. Do not let that be your general, general countenance. Do not be afraid, flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give, remember that word, you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Now this is, a, this is a verse that if you're reading scripture seriously, ought to strike fear into your heart. Is he telling us to literally sell our possessions and give to charity? Is he saying to us, like he did the rich young ruler, Sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me? <clears throat> the verb tense is aorist imperfect. And what that means is it's not a thing that you continually do. Like the, like the church in Jerusalem when it says that they pooled all their funds together and all the things they had in common, um, <clears throat> they... Had, they, they had all things in common and gave to each as, as had need and so that there were no poor among them. Well, that's an infinitive form, verb form and it means that whenever people had a need, it's not talking about a communist commune where everybody literally sells everything they have and puts it in a pot. It says they cared about each other enough that if any of them had a financial need, somebody would go out and sell something and give it to them, see? So that it was on a repetitive or continual basis. In the aorist, though, it is one big shot. It is not on a continual basis. So this is not the verb that's used in the Jerusalem church verb, uh, in the Jerusalem church scripture reference. So what does he mean? He can mean two things. You can put it in its actual 
historical context, referring back to verse 22, where it says he turned from the, from the multitudes and looked to his disciples and said to them, sell your possessions right now and give it to the poor. Give it a one-shot deal. And you can say he was saying that to them. Or here's the second thing you can say. If you go a little bit deeper, you can say this. What he is saying to us, since that's the one-shot verb form, is that we are to make a decision in our life where everything we have is at his disposal and we will use everything we have for his children and his good. Now, if that were a thing where we were to do it literally, sell all that we have right now and give all that we have right now to the poor, it wouldn't be in a one-shot verb form. You know why? Because we always get more. We always get more. So that would mean we could sell everything we have now, but then keep whatever was coming in. There is a spiritual, figurative sense here. We are not to possess our possessions. They are all to be God's. They are all to be at His disposal anytime He wants it. And I'm talking seriously about that now. That's not letting us off the hook. You understand? Sometimes when I, tell, when I think I'm telling you the Greek, you know, there comes this tremendous relief over people's faces like, ah, oh, I really don't have to do it now. It's kind of like the guy who went in to that. I just read this this week. A guy went into the, a doctor and says, you know, I'm just not getting the work done around the house. I can't do any work around the house. I want you to give me an examination and tell me why. So the doctor gave him a thorough examination and set him down afterwards. And the guy says, now, look, I can take it. Tell me honest in plain English why I'm not getting the work done around the house. And the guy looks at him and says, okay, in plain English, you're lazy. <laughs> the guy says, never missed a beat. He says, okay, now give me the medical term so I can tell my wife. You know, sometimes I think people say, well, give me the Greek, you know, so I really don't have to do it, so I can te technicality my way out of this. No, it's very, very serious when it says sell your possessions. It's saying you put them on the market right now. When God wants to make the sale, then he can. But everything you got, you put on the market right now, and it's available for him. There's no getting around that. He's very serious about it. Okay, let's go, let's talk a little bit about the whole biblical attitude of giving. First, before we even talk about storing up treasures in heaven, we need to make sure that we are going to be there to reap the benefits. I read someplace, I can't, I can't remember where, there are millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars out there of unclaimed gifts. I mean, literally, government funds that were going to be given to people, but they can't fund the people. They have no record of the people. And the people don't know they have them. That's one way you can analogize the fact that people try to do all, spend all their life doing good deeds but they never get there to reap the rewards for those because they haven't made sure they will. The way we get there is through Jesus Christ, through God's grace that He has bestowed through the life of His Son. 
And we can do all the good things we want and say all the right things we want. But until we accept Jesus Christ, they're going to be unclaimed gifts. Here's another way of thinking of it. Did you ever go into a bank? I bet you have not. A bank that you've never been in before, you have no, ab absolutely no idea of how they run things, you're just not a part of them, and you go in and you try to deposit $100. You should you give it to the teller say, here, here's $100, keep it for me. She will say to you, well, what's your account number? And you say, well, I don't have an account. What will she say to you? Sir, I can't accept this. Why? Because I have no place to put it. I have no place to store it for you. You are not with us yet. Again, we can do all the good things we want, say all the right things, encourage all the people, give them gifts, be thinking we are storing up, but unless we have an account there, we have no, he has no place to put it, you see. And the, there's only one account master in heaven, and the account master is Jesus Christ. So before you ever get to the place where you're thinking of storing up treasures in heaven, and you would not believe, well, yes, you would. You live in the world. How widespread the attitude is in the world <clears throat> that if I do all this good stuff down here, I'm going to reap the benefits of it up there. You've missed the main entry point, and that is first you've got to have an account. <clears throat> and the account's through Jesus Christ. Please do not leave here this morning if you do not already have an account. <clears throat> Please do not leave here this morning. There will be an opportunity later in the service to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because until that happens, there is no storing up. But you know what? Even more to the point. I don't know how you could get more to the point than that. Something else to the point. Deeper, on another level altogether, is this. You need to realize that God is not concerned with treasures. God is concerned with you. You are God's treasure. I'm amazed when I talk with people throughout the week how unimportant the world makes them feel. How absolutely useless. And you know what? It's true for people who have big jobs as well as for people who have little jobs. There are always circumstances, people out there, to make you feel small, to make you feel insignificant, to make you feel forgotten. And so when we turn to the Lord, it is tough. It is really tough to understand that the, the God of the entire universe loves you. You are His treasure. You are what matters to Him. Not how long you've been a part of a church, not even how long you've been a Christian. Not even that you have believed in Him. You. You. I read a story the other day. Tore my heart out. It's about a, a guy who, a kid, who had gone back to Ireland to go to a family reunion. And he went to his, you know, it was a... a um, big family, went to the house and they all had a great time getting to know one another again and they were going out to visit the sites. 
And he got into the back seat of a car with his grandfather, who was a very old man and had uh, several years earlier lost his wife to death. And as they were driving around, uh, they started past the cemetery where this old fellow's wife was buried. And the whole car was talking about family matters as they continued past this cemetery. But the little boy, unknown to his grandfather, kept looking at his grandfather. And when they passed that cemetery, that old man, unaware that anybody saw him, pressed his face against the window of the car and waved to his wife. Oh, gosh. Oh. The point is not that they had been married 50-some years. The point is that he loved her like crazy and he missed her. And his life would never be the same until he could be with her again. That's the point. The point is not that you're a Christian. The point is that you love God and that he loves you. And life will never be the same until you can really be together. That's the point. You're the treasure. Secondly, when anybody thinks about giving, they think about giving to God through His institution, His church. And, and I want to say that's fine. And God has, has instituted from the very beginning that He would have an institution dedicated to His worship and His work. Formerly, it was the temple. When they refer to the bags being stored up in the treasure, the treasury, um, there were literally bags in the temple treasury. That's what they stored them in. They had the amount in the bag written on the bag, cloth bags. And there were incidences where people low enough would try to steal those. But there were also incidents when bugs would come in and eat the cloth of the bags to where the treasure would spill out. And so both of these are historically picturesque of exactly what happened. Yes, God has always given us a way to give directly to Him. And yes, some of that way has always been through the institution that He established. And I don't want to in any way say that's not true. Many of you know and many of you have been taught that the tithe is God's standard. Now, it always tickles me when we start talking about the tithe because there's always this big argument about whether the tithe is still applicable, applicable or the tithe is not applicable anymore. You know, whether the tithe is valid throughout all ages or whether that passed with that certain age and when Jesus Christ came such an age of grace came in that there was no standard anymore. And you can go, honest to goodness, you can go into Scripture and make a case for either. Obviously, or sincere Christians wouldn't still be doing it. But again, we miss the point. The point is, is your giving not to an institution but to God? The point is that 
whatever standard you believe that Scripture asks for. And it always, to a sincere person, I mean, if you don't believe in that 10%, it's even more of a, <laughs> it's even more of a problem because Scripture asks for way more than that. The point is this. Is there in your mind some special portion of the finances God has given you to care for, a section or a portion that is God's and God's alone untouchable by you, that is somehow dedicated to Him specifically because, not because the, the rest of the 90% isn't yours, or isn't his, because the rest of 90% is his, you know. For a Christian, that's just what I told you, you know, sell all that you got. I mean, it's his anyhow. But there is something in Scripture about having a portion of our money that is specifically God's. We wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Why? Because there is something in a relationship that is meaningful that says this is his and nobody else's. I suspect if you have a special relationship with anybody, there is a part of you that you use generally, but there is a part of you, I hope, that you just reserve for that one person. That no matter what kind of situation you would get in, you would never use that part of you for anybody else. No matter how much you loved them, no matter how much you were, they were in need, you wouldn't use it because that is your husband's or that is your wife's. Bodies are included in that. See, that is specifically theirs because I love them and I want a part of my life to be specifically theirs. And I wouldn't touch that for my own use and I wouldn't touch that with it for anybody else's use. That's my wife's or that's my husband's or that's my kid's, see? That's a part of having a, spe a special relationship. I knew a guy in a former church that had a wonderful attitude on giving. And I don't think he just had the gift of giving. I think he had a general life that was open. And he had an attitude toward God that was just a son to his father. I mean, they walked and they talked and it was evident. One day I asked him about the tithe, you know, because I was pretty immature in my um, walk at that time. And Beck and I have always, you know, we just, we don't want to worry about how much we give God. We want that special, you know, and just out of convenience, we say, okay, 10%. You know, that's, that's where we're at. That's the Lord's. We wouldn't, we would, we don't even begin to give ourselves until we get past the, his special portion. That's not ours. That's his. But I went to this guy and I said, Melvin, where are you on this? You know, what do you think? And he happened to be right there. But the way he put it was more important than the percentage. The way he put it was this. He said, I would no more touch that 10% than I would go to someone I love and take money out of their wallet even if I knew they didn't mind. Now think about that for a minute. Then I would go to someone I loved. See? Now sometimes... We go to each other's... I mean, I, I know some of you well enough to know that if I had a real need, I could come to you 
and go in your house and go to your dresser or wherever you keep your wallet and take out 20 bucks and walk off with it and tell you later, brother, I had a need for 20 bucks and I went in your house and got it. Is that okay with you? <laughs> Not very many of you, I see. <laughs> Some of you aren't going to leave your wallet on a dresser anymore, are you? I can take a hint. Some of you I could do that to. Some of you I could do that to. And you would say to me what? I am so glad you felt free enough to do that. And if you had a need, you know anything I got's yours. And I know you'd say that. But would I ever do that? No. I wouldn't. Because even if you didn't mind, there is a portion that I count as yours and I would only want you to give me you to give me that portion in another way other than my taking it from you unannounced. See? That has something to do with how much I respect you as people. So the issue isn't the percentage at all. The issue is, does God really own that portion of our money? Is that His? Or are we free to do with that whatever we want to do? And the answer is, if that's not his, if we're in control of that, then we have missed a special aspect. And we are not giving him due ownership and due property management. But again, here it is at a deeper level. Let's go even deeper than this. Why? Why do we, does, do we need to have that portion for his treasury? Does God need the money? God doesn't need the money. <laughs> no, he doesn't need the money. <clears throat> we need it. We need to give it. We need to keep our hands off of it. For, and by the way, lest anybody think that I'm trying to raise funds here, A, look at your bullet, and I'm not trying to raise anything, and B, I think it would be tremendous if from time to time or maybe as often as you're guided, maybe often, you would take your tithe and give it to other churches. They need it worse than we do. Some churches have put, dug themselves in a terrible hole. Give it to them for crying out loud. It'd be good for you not to give it always at Northland because then you remember you're not giving it to a church, you're giving it to God. See? Give it in other places. All right? I'm serious about that. If you're going down a street, you know, and you see a little white frame church on the left, and you think, boy, I bet they don't have much money. You just drive in and give your tithe that week. Say, here, I want to give you this. Watch them. It's fun. It's fun. Well, let us put you on our mailing list. That's what they always say. Let us put you on our mailing list. So anyhow, it isn't about giving to a church. It's about giving to the church, more specifically about giving to the God the way he's arranged it. And the reason is so that we can be changed, so we can keep our cotton-picking hands off the control of what is God's money, of what is God's portion, so that we can be changed, so that we can know this is not mine. Now, it is so important. You know the difference between a mature ch ch church and an immature church? Very simple. Very simple. 
In a mature church, the people come to be, in an immature church, the people come to be satisfied. In a mature church, the people come to be changed. It's just that simple. You remember that. In an immature church, people come to be satisfied. In a mature church, people come to be changed. Well, the fact is that God doesn't help us give so that we can be satisfied. God helps us give so that we can be changed, so that our hearts can be changed into giving people. Do you know what it's going to be like when we get to heaven? You talk about culture shock. The things that were totally acceptable down here are going to be so out of place up there. Do you think that when you die instantaneously, you're going to go and you're going to reside in heaven and you're going to know all the ropes? What, how are you going to respond? Are you going to be changed in an instant, have a pure heart and see everything differently and all of a sudden become a pure person? I don't know. It doesn't say that anywhere in there. It doesn't say that. We're going to have to go with the lives that we have built down here. So one of the things, one of the ways that we prepare is to be changed where we're at. And our attitude's changed. And so it's not what we can get, obviously, nor even what we can give. It is the kind of person we are becoming. Are we becoming a Christ-like person? I'll tell you a story. Kid on Father's Day. <laughs> I heard the other day, this is cute. I heard the other day that on Mother's Day, everybody goes out to eat and buys flowers and all of that kind of stuff uh, and has a big celebration. And when it comes to Father's Day, Father's Day is kind of a Graham Rudman Mother's Day. <laughs> oh, that was cute. <clears throat> Low budget, you know, let's, let's cut it. But anyhow, on Father's Day, this kid was still into it, and he wanted to give his dad a present, didn't have any money, didn't have any money. So he and his dad went to the dime store, five and dime, Ben Franklin store, for all of you that remember those. And the kid was going around just wishing he had some money, had no money, wanted to honor his dad. No resources to do it. The dad was coming around the corner watching this kid eye some cigars. Dad smoked cigars. The kid looked around, nobody there. He took two of the cigars, put them inside his shirt, and stood there, and stood there, and stood there. Then he took the two cigars out of his shirt and put them back in the box. They walked out together, and the next day was Father's Day. And the kid came to the dad and kind of had tears in his eyes. He says, Dad, I'm sorry. I just don't have anything to give you this year. And the dad looked at him, and you know what he said. He said, Honey, I watched you yesterday in the store. And when you put those cigars back, you gave me the best present I could ever have. Giving to God is a matter of character. It's not about gifts. And when we give gifts, it's a matter of character. It's not about gifts, see? Not about money. Not about resources. Not about talent. Not about anything. It's a matter of character. Because we want to become and have the nature of God. That's 
what God loves. Now, let's do go to the last part because I could, I could just, man, I could talk all day about this and I almost am. There is a point in our giving that God absolutely loves. Many people can give to the Lord because they want some treasure in heaven. And by the way, that works. The Bible says it works. It's kind of unbelievable how we could, if we have an account up there, store up treasures in heaven. I, you know, that seems to me to be a way to get greedy with our spirituality and to approach it from all the wrong motivation. And I don't know why that is, but it is. So there is that system. But here's the important thing in that system. When we come to the place where we are not giving our dues to the church anymore, when we are not... By the way, this is cute. This is why I can... I just See, all these, all these faces of people keep flashing while I'm talking. My brother-in-law, who is a pastor in northern Indiana, just started a new church in a movie theater. Uh, as a matter of fact... Um, Growing like crazy. They got good movies. No. Growing like crazy. And uh, he was here a few weeks ago. And it happened that his church, he's got, he's got uh, some staff, and it happened that his church administrator was here. And they're having some trouble financially. I mean, they struggle like most churches do. And uh, his church administrator opened up and, of course, got real, you know, just immediately riveted to the financial statistics. And Mark looked over and said, Bill, obviously, these people don't know how to raise money. I mean, they never bring financial needs, or they hardly ever bring financial needs, he was kidding, to the congregation. They don't pass the plate. They, um, they don't give two or three good stewardship sermons per quarter. Uh, obviously, these people are in big trouble, and they need to learn a lot about raising money. And Bill caught the um, sarcasm and started to laugh. Um, but then thinking like a church administrator. I mean, after you get in the business for a while, you just start thinking that way. He said, they don't pass the plates here? He says, no, they get two little bitty boxes around. You've got to look hard to find them, you know. You know, you can't give at this church unless you really know the inside system. The guy thought for a minute, and he looked at Mark, and he goes, I wonder how much they'd get if they hid the boxes. So anyhow, here's the point. Here's the point, the third point, and the point of the Scripture. When we develop the character of giving, then the gifts that we have are the people we have given to. There was a point in Roman history where Decius, the emperor of Rome, persecuted the church to such an extent that he had his Roman soldiers ride to every church and plunder that church for all of its valuables. Now, every worshiping organization throughout the history of the world, if it's been in existence for very long, has valuables. They collect them. That's part of the nature of the institution, which we want to cut out. That's part of the nature of the institution. 
So a Roman prefect came, discovered that there was a church, and Brother Laurentius was the pastor. One evening, this Roman prefect bursts in the door and says, show me your treasures immediately. And the guy, Laurentius, looks around the room and says with all sincerity and all honesty, when he looks upon the orphan and upon the widow and upon the sick who had come for prayer and upon the very poor families, these are our treasures. That's how God looks at things, and that's how we can look at things. You know, when you give to the sharing fund, you don't realize how many people that helps every week. How people are having their homes literally saved because they have gotten themselves into a short financial crisis, or one has come along because of illness or whatever, and the church needs to help them with their mortgage or with their utilities or with their groceries or with repairing their car or whatever. We do that for people every week. And the point isn't that we've helped them out. The point is that we have said to them, and some of them still can't get it through their heads, that they are the treasure of the church. They are the treasure of God. And when all of us get in that same situation from time to time, and most of us will, we need to be able to say to the church, can you help? And have the church say to us, we would love to. It is our privilege. We can't wait. Thank you for asking. Because it's not that we are trying to build up a treasury in heaven is that they actually become, whether there's anything going on in heaven or not, the most important things in our lives. They become a place where God can go through us. And for those of you who know people who aren't part of the church, you are fortunate when, when people come by here on Dog Track Road and we have transients, you know, often, I'm not about, unless I am absolutely, totally broke, to ask the church for that money. I would much rather give it to them out of my personal funds because, not because I'm trying to store up treasure, although that's happening, I'm sure. I mean, the Bible says it does. But because once people like that become the treasure... There is an indescribable thrill of giving. And you can never give enough. There is no such thing as giving enough. Because it is the same love that goes out time after time after time after time. Grateful. Grateful that you've been able to be a part of it. That's what God is doing in our lives. Now, 
Thank you for being the practice sermon. I know I've got to shorten this by at least 15 or 20 minutes for the second service. But you can walk out blurry-eyed blurry and go, that was the longest sermon on giving I've ever heard. But I just I want to take a few minutes before we go, all right? I don't want to cut this part out. Where you can have time for prayer. God may be asking you this morning to sell, to put it up for sale, something in your life. If it is your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that this morning before you leave. I mean, literally, you need to give him your life. And don't sit there and say, but I think I'm a Christian. If you don't know whether or not you're a Christian, do it this morning so that you can know you're a Christian. So that you, it's not like, well, I think I'm married, you know. If you don't, if you don't know, get married today. <laughs> if you've forgotten that, we're all in big trouble, you know. It's the same thing, bigger, well, I thought I was kind of raised to be married, you know. Um, Secondly, there may be something in your life that God's saying, look, you know and I know that I gave you all that you had. And you wouldn't, you're not giving me that. I want you to put it up for sale. Right now to where if I ever need it, I can come and I can have it. And all I have to do is tell you and I can complete the sale like that. You put it on the market for me right now. Okay. Okay. Would the elders come forward? Let's just have a few minutes of prayer. Do we have any elders in here this morning? Thanks, JT. Anybody else? Lon, thank you. So that if there are those of you who want to pray with an elder about something, if, if somebody wants to pray the prayer of salvation so that you can be sure that you, thanks, Tom, have uh, uh, your account opened in heaven, <laughs> and that is your home, then pray with an elder. Let them pray that prayer of salvation with you. But also, those of you who just say, Lord, I really need to pray with someone else about what I'm going to put up on the market so that I know that I've done it this morning. I want you to avail yourselves of an elder or myself while we're up here. And then after we get done, uh, we'll close. Let's pray.